All right, today we're going to do the, the uh, continue the study of the third day, the third day, uh, and as we do that, I'm going to focus on the life of Joseph. Now, if you're interested in studying uh, the complete theology of the life of Joseph, if you go to my website, uh, I spent about three months on it uh, in the men's group, and so you can get the individual lessons there. I'm going to do this in one lesson, good Lord willing. And so I'm going to try to summarize a lot of what, of what this story is about. It is about really one of the great biblical narratives. It is a foretaste of Jesus Christ. Joseph is in the typology of Jesus Christ. The story of Joseph really is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would mean to the Jewish people. And God does this, God paints this picture really now, uh, about 1,600 years before Christ would be born. The study of Joseph, Joseph is living about 400, 450 years before Moses. So you get an understanding of how important this is. And so the story begins in Genesis chapter 37. We're not going to read it, but it's Jacob who has 12 sons. One of the 12 sons is Joseph, highly favored because he's a son of his special wife, Rachel. Um, and so uh, Joseph is favored by Jacob, and as a result of that, the other brothers begin to hate him and ultimately decide they want to kill him. And one day, as they're out in the, in the fields uh, shepherding their flock, they decide to kill Joseph, and uh, one of the brothers prevails against them and says, don't kill him, let's just get rid of him. Let's sell him into slavery. We'll send him into Egypt as the slave traders come by. They throw him into a pit. And there he is in this pit that's about 16 feet deep. And he hears them negotiating with the slave traders to send them away to Egypt. And in fact, he goes to Egypt um, and begins one of the most incredible stories that you will ever, ever read. And I would encourage you to read these stories. And Joseph will wind up in the house of Potiphar. In the meantime, the brothers go back and soak his coat in animal blood and tell Jacob that your son was killed by wild animals. Jacob is crushed. Crushed. Uh, and now Joseph is alone, by himself, no family in Egypt. He's bought by Potiphar, one of the uh, main generals in the Egyptian government. And Joseph, because he is anointed and is gifted and talented, God is with him, and God raises him up. And that's one of the lessons that we find, that when you are God's man or woman, God will elevate you no matter where you are. Here he is in a strange country, in a strange house, and he winds up becoming, effectively, the manager of the house. He's in charge of everything in that house, and that goes on for a period of years. Now, Joseph was a good-looking, well-built young man. And I say that because Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. And she didn't just like him as a pal. She wanted to have a sexual relationship with Joseph. And so Joseph, being a devout Jew uh, and a godly man, would not allow himself to be defiled in this way. And so he rebuffed her efforts. Well, after a while, uh, this got to her uh, pride. And so she ripped her clothing and ran around to her husband and said he tried to rape him, rape her, and therefore Joseph is now sent into prison. 
Now think about this. You've been serving God. You're a godly man. You think God has elevated you up and protected you. Now you're in prison by yourself. Uh, And yet God was with him in prison. And what we find while he's in prison, and he was in prison for a number of years. uh, Again, the Spirit of God descends on him and elevates him. Elevates him. He becomes a leader within the prison. The, The head of the prison puts Joseph in charge of delegating authority within the prison. Again, the gift of God. Uh, and lo and behold, two of the government officials are thrown into prison. Uh, one was the baker. Uh, the other was the uh, chief steward of the house of Pharaoh. And so they're both thrown into prison, and they're both pending a death sentence. And we're very much concerned about it. And so they each have dreams. And they hear that Joseph has the ability to interpret dreams. And so each, each of them individually goes to Joseph and asks him to in, uh, interpret their dreams. And Joseph has this gift from God. And so he interprets the gift. He interprets the dream. First, he says to the chief steward, I see your dream and I believe that in three days you will be elevated back to your original position. Interesting. Three days you'll be elevated back. Then he says... To the baker who gives him his dream, a completely different dream, he says, in three days you're going to die. The, the king, the pharaoh is going to kill you. And in fact, both of those dreams come through. Joseph says to the steward, by the way, please remember me when you get out. Well, of course, you know what happens. He doesn't remember him. I'm done. I'm done. But after a while, the king had a dream and nobody could interpret the dream. Well, now the steward remembered the guy in the prison. He remembers him, and he says to the king, there's, this, there's one guy I know in jail that, that can, can interpret dreams. They bring him out. Nobody else could interpret the dream. Joseph gets the dream. Joseph interprets the dream. And not only does he interpret the dream, because it's a dream that effectively indicates that there will be seven years of plenty in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph not only interprets the dream, he then advises the king, this is what you need to do. You need to set up storehouses. You need to divide up the territory of the country. Put individual managers in charge to take care of the grains. Store it up so that you have it when the, when the uh, bad times come. The king then says, this is a man I want to put in charge. He elevates him on this spot to effectively the second most important position in Egypt after Pharaoh. Now, can you write a story like this? Do you see what happens when God is involved? And so here you understand that when Joseph was in the pit, that verse that Joseph ultimately says at the end of of, uh, Genesis 52 to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That goes on your refrigerator. What does it mean? It means that in all of our lives, we will be subject to evil at some point in time. But when you are a child of God... God will take that cloth that has been woven by Satan and he will reweave it. He will reweave it in ways that you could not possibly, possibly comprehend. And so there he is at the top of Egypt now, the prime minister effectively. And so there he is in charge of, of handling all of the grain issues that will affect Egypt. As a world now, this is a worldwide famine, 
as now people from all over the world start coming to Egypt. That now brings you to Genesis chapter 42. Turn with me to Genesis 42 as his brothers now, under the instruction of their father Jacob, says, you better go to Egypt and get food. I know that they have it. Verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. And by the way, this is all part of the hand of God. God knew that there would be a famine, but God also knew that if he put Joseph in charge, the brothers and Jacob would have to go to Egypt, and ultimately God would use this to protect the Jewish people for 400 years. Where else would they be able to grow from a small band of 50 or 60 people to three and a half million? But in Egypt, in a protected section set off by themselves. And that's exactly what's gone on here. But it would only happen because of this. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Now, the interesting side note to you is this. Benjamin was the only full brother that Joseph had. The other brother from Rachel. The others were half-brothers. Pretty sure the the father knew "Hmm, something's not totally right here in this family relationship. I'm sure he, he was a smart enough guy. You know, Jacob was formerly called a schemer and a supplanter, right? So I'm pretty sure Jacob was a worldly wise guy. And so that's an important aside I'm giving you. You're not going to find in your commentary. Verse 5. So Israel's sons, that's Jacob, were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but pretended to be a a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now you're wondering, why didn't they recognize Joseph? They didn't recognize Joseph because he'd been in Egypt for a lifetime. I'm sure he had a shaved head and he had a beard. Uh, and, and so as a result of that, they didn't recognize who he was. He looked like any other typical Egyptian. So that's why they didn't get him. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. And those were the dreams that said that the brothers would bow down before him. That's one of the reasons why they wanted to kill him. And said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Yeah, that's right. One is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your numbers to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, 
you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. This is the essence of the story. For three days. What does this mean? It means that God is foreshowing, foreshadowing that the uh, patriarchs, that the Jewish people will be put in prison, that there is a time of suffering and persecution in order to see whether they would repent. Would they repent? Would they give up the things that they had done before? Would they ask for forgiveness for what they had done? The enmity and the hatred that they had done during the three-day period. Would they in fact come forward and whitewash themselves and ask for forgiveness? That's what this story is about. Joseph, right now, is effectively in the place of Jesus Christ. Looking to have Israel ask for forgiveness. To change their past. To change the way they had lived. To show that they had been in a different way. Verse 18. On the third day. Now, look. I'm going to keep showing you these things. And you're going to, you're going to, this is eventually going to be so abundantly clear to you that you're going to see it. On the third day. Meaning that God is again painting a picture. That something unbelievably fantastic is coming down the road on the third day. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go back and take grain for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Look at the way that's actually phrased. Look at the way this... Do this and you will live. I am bringing you out of death. You are in death. You are in prison. You are slated to die. But if you do this, if you repent, if you show that you are honest men, if you change the way you live, if you change the way that you conduct yourself, if you admit that what you did to your brother was abhorrent, you will live. And so effectively, God is using Joseph to paint the picture of what will come in, in 1600 years. When Jesus himself will come and try to get the entire nation to repent of their ways. To change their conduct. To ask for forgiveness. And to show that they will move in a new direction. God is saying it on the third day. Something incredible would happen on the third day. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. Whoa, I guess they got through. You think that? You see what happens in a world that has a bad conscience? You see people who have not, convicted, have not been convicted by God, have not repented, and you look at them and you think, oh, look at that. They don't, they don't, they're not bothered at all. Yes, they are bothered. Their consciences bother them. The guilt lays with them. Day after day, night after night. Don't kid yourself. His brothers were guilt-stricken. But they didn't repent. But they didn't ask God for forgiveness. But they didn't speak about this terrible thing and ask to be washed. But yet you see it. We're being punished. We're being punished because of what we did. 
uh, and we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. How about that? They did not understand and realized that Joseph could understand them since he was, he was using an interpreter. So, there you go. There you have this whole section set up, which is what I want to concentrate on for you today, the third day. The importance of this story, the narrative as it is a foretelling of Jesus coming uh, and, and being effectively the amanuensis to save Israel, to save. These are the patriarchs. What you are looking here is nascent Israel. Here we have the 12 tribes of Israel all in front of you. There will be the very foundational aspect of Israel. And God is saying through Joseph that you, you need to repent of your ways in order to be saved from death. Wow. Wow. What an amazing story. And you see it. Um, and, and, and to me, it resonates so greatly. And so uh, I want to I bring, you, bring you some of the verses in this to your, to your attention. Um, now, one of the things that you see here is that the incarceration of the sons of Israel was ordered by Joseph, who had been betrayed by the brothers. The brothers had actually sold him for silver. You want to see the comparisons to Jesus Christ? Turn, if you would, to Genesis uh, 37, verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And this is out in the desert before he's being sold into slavery. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. I want you to see the spirit of these men. They're brothers in a deep ditch. He must be yelling, help me, don't do this, don't let this happen to me. And what are they doing? They're eating. What kind of heart do you think they had? They're eating. See what happens when hatred and enmity take over your body? And, and they, they're eating. They, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their, car their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Well, that's just a great statement. Isn't that nice? Let's not kill him. He's our own brother. Let's just sell him forever into slavery. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came up by his brothers, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Jesus was betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. Do you see the analogy here? As Joseph is the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, just as Jesus would be betrayed uh, by his own kind, by his own kind, uh, Jewish people, for 30 pieces of silver, Joseph, foreshadowing Jesus Christ, is going to be betrayed by his own kind for 20 pieces of silver. Uh, and so you see this powerful uh, typology taking place. And here's the other thing. The brothers, the brothers did not know that Joseph 
had been delivered from the death that they intended for him. The brothers did not know that Joseph had been delivered from the death they intended for him. Just like those people who betrayed Jesus did not know that Jesus would be delivered from death, from the death that they intended for him. They didn't understand it. And now Joseph would be raised to the right hand of Pharaoh. Well, guess what? Jesus would be raised to the right hand of God. Is your head going to explode? Do you understand why when people say, oh, are you Christians? How do you believe this stuff in the Bible? It's all a bunch of fables. Well, if it's a bunch of fables, it's the most intricately constructed group of fables that I've ever seen because they all come true. Prophecy after prophecy ringing true. That's what separates us from these cults and these phony books that come out. The Koran, the Book of Mormon. All right? You want to separate us? That's the separation. It's the Bible written by the hand of God using the voice of men. All right? That's what it is. 66 separate books written by 40 different men on three different continents over 1,400 years. All with one design. Jesus Christ. Son of God, coming to redeem. Now here you're going, folks. I can't give you a more powerful picture of what's going to happen here. Uh, and, and of what you see here with Jesus. Uh, and you see it so, so clearly. So God then prepares Joseph to come to the right hand of Pharaoh. Why? So that he could prepare a place for the Jewish people to abide in safety. And God provided Jesus Christ to be at the right hand of God so that the people of God, both Jew and Gentile, would have a place of safety and repose by Jesus Christ. Do you see this picture being completed in a way that no mere man could ever write it? Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And then you see how the third day is important. Because just as Jesus Christ will defeat death on the third day, just as God will raise Jesus from death on the third day, he will pull him out of the grave. And once and for all, death will be defeated. On the third day, the, Joseph's brothers are in prison, waiting to see if they will die, waiting to see if they will be executed. But for the fact that Joseph pulled them out of prison, gave them life, gave them a place to live uh, that they would not have because God was waiting to see if, in fact, they would repent. And, in fact, they do. Uh, and so you see this. They needed to repent of the enmity which they had shown against their brother. That's the lesson here. God says the third day is for those who repent and accept Jesus Christ. Otherwise, the third day is like any other day of the week. If you're not a Christian, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, the third day is like the fourth day, like the fifth day, and like the seventh day. There is no third day unless you accept Jesus Christ. And you see this in this story. And here it is. The patriarchs themselves. Now look, these guys don't look like patriarchs now. 
they're just 11 guys who had enmity in their heart for, for their brother. But they will become the foundational aspect of what Israel will be. Now just think about how powerful God is. God recognizing that at this point, the total band of Jacob's family, according to the theologians, is somewhere between 65 and 75. That's the brothers, their wives, their sons, and their servants. So what are they going to do? They're by themselves in Canaan, surrounded by adverse populations uh, and a worldwide famine. You can imagine what it would be like living in that kind of condition where you'd be under tremendous distress from hostile forces. So God engineers this, engineers this, elevates Joseph, just as the way God elevated Jesus Christ. Elevates Joseph so that they have to come and get food and the entire family comes. Jacob comes eventually. They all come and Joseph puts them in a place in Egypt called Goshen. Goshen. Uh, and why Goshen? Because Goshen was one of the areas in Egypt where if you were a shepherd, you could have flocks and tend your sheep. Now, here's the thing. If you were an Egyptian, you despised shepherds. So by separating them off in Goshen, they would not have a social intercourse with the rest of the Egyptians. They'd be by themselves. God walled them off. He protected them. Can you imagine that you would live in another country and yet God would carve out a spot in that country so that you would be protected and you would grow? And we know, just as God promised Abraham what would happen to his forebears, what would happen? What would happen with that over a period of 400 years, they'd grow to three and a half million people. Three and a half million people. Now, this man who was Pharaoh at the end was not the man who was Pharaoh when Joseph was in charge. And you know how that, that, that turned bad. But all of that was in the plan of God. Because they weren't meant to stay in Egypt forever. They were meant to travel to the promised land. And so there they were, protected, walled off. And God finally made it so uncomfortable that they had to leave. And there's a message in that for you too. Sometimes God makes things uncomfortable for us. All right? I can testify to that. I can make it very clear to you. Sometimes God makes your situation uncomfortable because God wants you to do something and step outside of where you are. And that's what happened. All of this, all of this set in motion by God the Father who decided that the, the Jewish people needed to see what it would mean to have a Savior what it would mean to have a protector, all set in line, typologically, so that they would be prepared for the day that Jesus Christ would come. Uh, and uh, an amazing thing. Turn to Acts chapter 3. And now you're going to see Peter speaking to the Jewish leaders about who Jesus was and what they did and how they failed to elevate Jesus. Verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Amen? Amen. There, how do you like that? How's that for power? How's that for courage? How's that for being filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to turn to effectively the murderers of Jesus Christ and indicate what they had done? And so you see this powerful story being written in a way that, that we, could never, we could never understand it. And here's the other analogy, the other typology of how God uh, put this all together. Jesus said that he came to be the bread of life. The bread of life. When Joseph's brothers came to Egypt, they were seeking what? Grain. For what? Bread. Which would be what? The bread of life to sustain them. Do you see how God has written his story? That God would provide this physical bread to them in Egypt that would someday hopefully resonate in their hearts as they thought about that story, recognizing the foreshadowing of what God had done through Joseph and now seeing it in completion through the Son of God himself as God walks around. And so this narrative is unbelievably powerful. That's what, why this is so important. And I want you again to recognize the importance of the third Day. The third day resonates so powerfully, and it's you're going to see it time and time again uh, through the through the Old Testament. And I'm going to spend another couple weeks doing this with you. I'm not going to go through every possible uh, situation, but I'm give, going to give you enough so that you will see that God had made it abundantly clear that something unbelievably big would happen on the third day. Now you wonder why the Jewish people were under indictment by God. Just think about this. Just think about this. How God had, had prepared everything for them. Had written the story. Had shown typologically what would happen. Preparing them. All of the prophecies. Isaiah. All of the prophecies coming down in Psalms of what would happen. And yet, they walked away from the very Son of God. And that's why there is a judgment. But someday, 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 they'll have another chance. And we know that in the last days when God will come back, when Jesus will come back, that Israel, Israel, a significant portion of Israel uh, will come to Lord Jesus. In fact, we know that 144,000 of them will wind up being evangelists. And so we, that's, that's our hope. That's our prayer. Uh, and that's institutional Judaism. It's not individual Jews. So understand something. Individual Jews can come to the Lord Jesus every day. And they do. Every day, I'm talking about institutional Judaism. Institutional Judaism. One day, it too will bow its head. And so, this is an incredible story. And I hope that I've, I've done it justice for you as I've tried to summarize uh, in one lesson what it means, what God did, how God intended 
for, for the Jewish people to be prepared for the third day. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for, for the lessons that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for this lesson of Joseph. What a mighty man, God. What a, what a holy man that through all of these difficulties, he stayed true to you, Lord. Help us to act like that. Help us and strengthen us, Lord, that even when we have some slight embarrassment or persecution, we immediately fall. Give us the strength to look at this example of Joseph, who portend typologically of Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for sending Jesus. And now, Lord, be with our people. Bless them. Help this lesson to grow. Bless the service to follow. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.